Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Back in Edmonton, thank you. It's a pleasure to be at Crosspoint Church. I've been here a few times, had the chance to speak at a little church in Leduc. Well, back, been here a couple of times to speak for Parkinson's groups uh, from time to time. Something's on fire. No, we're okay. And so, yeah, I love Edmonton, have some good friends here, and it's a pleasure to be back with you and worship together in church this morning. So let's uh, jump right in. I've got a little story to tell you. There's a, back in 1964, a little baby was born into circumstances much different than most. Little baby wasn't born into a home with a mom and a dad. Matter of fact, there was no home. Baby was born in a little hospital on the Gulf of Mexico, surrounded by the searing sands of Texas. Immediately upon birth, the baby was placed into a home, an orphanage with the hopes of one day being adopted. There was no home, just a bed. There were no parents, just workers. The mother was a 20-year-old white girl from the state of Iowa, from middle America. The father was a 30-something-year-old married black man with children. Well, in 1964, in Iowa, this simply wasn't going to work. So she was from a Christian home, so abortion wasn't an option, but of course neither was keeping the baby or staying at home. So she was packed up, sent to Texas to have her baby and give it up for adoption. In 1964, America was in turmoil. John Glenn became the first U.S. astronaut to circle the globe while the Beatles hit number one for the first time in the United States and Muhammad Ali was crowned boxing's heavyweight champion of the world. The Vietnam War was raging, while Mary Poppins was a hit in theaters. Yeah, you remember that one? Most of you would say no. (laughs) And President Lyndon Johnson signed into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964, abolishing racial segregation in the United States. Now, if you don't know what racial segregation meant, you're too young to remember that, it simply meant that whites didn't eat in the same restaurants as blacks, and blacks didn't go to the same schools as whites. Race rights toward America, and Martin Luther King Jr. received the Nobel Peace Prize. It was during this time that I was born a half-breed in a very black and white world. And that next picture there is me. Good-looking kid that I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta hear some more cheering. Yeah, I don't know how often your preacher sits down, but this morning you get to see a preacher sit down. We'll get to that more in a, in a while. But nonetheless, um, question for you. What do you do with a biracial baby as we were t- turned back in 1964? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You hang out a good, free to good home sign and see if you get any takers. But you, but you see, there wasn't much of a market back then for this particular product, and if you let it get too old, you'll be stuck with it for good. So I was literally put on the speaking circuit from birth. I was taken from church to church, put on display, and offered any willing takers. Now, I'm told it's not quite as bad as it sounds, and that it didn't take that long between, before mom and dad and I found each other. But you see, the, the pastor from the, that ran the orphanage, he was in the Kansas City area one Sunday evening, and my parents happened to be there listening to him speak. And they saw this beautiful baby boy that I was, mom's word, not mine, 
fell in love with not only the gorgeous baby that I was, but also the idea of saving me from certain disaster. Okay, whatever you say. How's that? I tell everywhere I go I'm a very laid-back speaker. Can you tell? Can't hear you back there. That's my wife, folks. <laughs> I take her everywhere with me because she keeps me on, on, on task. All right, where was I at, dear wife? Oh, yeah, mom and dad fell in love with me. So anyway, mom and dad fell in love with the idea of saving this poor kid from certain disaster because there was no huge long line out the door looking to bi adopt biracial babies back in 1964. In an age where it cost us tens of thousands of dollars to uh, adopt a child today, it may come as a surprise to learn that I cost my parents nothing. The legal process boiled down to a, yeah, we'll take them. They saw a judge, signed some papers, and I had parents. When you consider the age, the day, the odds aligned against me, I remain amazed that I've had the opportunity to pen these words. I remain absolutely amazed that there was somebody who came along and adopted me. But you see, the fact is, is I, my parents believed and acted on the words of James 1.27, which simply says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans in their distress. You see, mom and dad didn't see it as, as enough to pray for me. They didn't see it as enough to hope that things would turn out okay. They read the words of James 2, 14 to 17 and chose to be the ones to clothe me. They chose to be the ones to feed me, to give me a home, and to set me free from poverty in Jesus' name. James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. My parents had the courage to bring me to Jesus, and I see them so clearly in Matthew chapter 19, where scripture says that little children were brought to Jesus for him to lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And in fact, my parents were rebuked when they brought me home. Their pastor, no less, pulled them aside and said, this isn't your responsibility. Said, you're wrong to be adopting this little black baby. We informed him that I was brown. <laughs> that we disagreed with his theology. And we found ourselves a new church. Who are these people that bring little children to Jesus? Well, you see, once again, in verse 14, my parents read and responded to Scripture when it says, let the little children come unto me. Having moved from Texas to Kansas, the remainder of my, life, my childhood was predominantly ordinary. Aside from the five, yes, five, other biracial babies that mom and dad went on to adopt. Now, we're actually missing one there. How about I change mics? Shall I grab a handheld? This one? 
in the middle. And this will prove challenge. There we go. All right, there we go. The good looking one there in the middle, that's me. Then, so I'm just gonna run through everybody's names for you, okay? So there's Timothy Max. To the left is David Michael. Titus Mark. Daniel Paul. Rebecca Grace. And in the middle there came along much later as James Matthew. I think they quit because we were running out of Bible names. <laughs> so not only was this amazing, but you have to understand that this was all in addition to the three children of their own that they had before they ever adopted me. So if you're kind of trying to keep track, we're up to nine. Five boys, four girls. And I always told mom, I said, you know, mom, you've got more heart than you have brains, eh? <laughs> that inevi inevitably got me smacked. But nonetheless, growing up brown, mulatto, mixed, half-breed, life was liberally sprinkled with the N-word. I had multiple opportunities in life to try to figure out where I fit in the universe and along with that, what color my girlfriend should be. For you see, I was always a little too black for the white man's daughter, a little too white for the black man's daughter, and the wrong shade of brown for the Latino man's daughter. I'll never forget the Latino father who told me one day, he said, you know what, Tim, you should date your own kind. I told him, I said, show her to me, give, give me your number, and I'll take her out. <laughs> because the simple fact was there were no my kind in the 70s and 80s. While there certainly are more of them now, there certainly wasn't then. My kind simply did not exist. Yet without fail, each time I came home from the, in tears from the playground bully or from the girl who said her dad said that I couldn't date her, mom was... Mom and dad were always there. Same resolve, same unbending passion, same determination, same depth of love that said, you know what, Tim? God made you special. He made you who you are. He gave you to us. We could not love you anymore if we had given birth to you ourselves. Go on, live your life, be the best that you can be, and serve God. We love you, period. My parents never left me wondering whether I was loved. And the rest of the language that would go into those conversations, while not bad, for you see my father was a pastor, that language is never bad, but I just want to warn you, if you ever happen to be in the Kansas City area with me, you need to just remember, I am my mother's special child, you are not, <laughs> and under no circumstances will that ever be confused. <laughs> she left us all very clear, they both left it very clear that they loved us and there, there was nothing that could come between us. It was on their knee that I learned the meaning of the words, I have a father. It was on their knee that where I learned to be loved by someone who was, who was not your family. It's where I learned hope, pride, it's where I found my voice, and it's where I learned to dream. It's where I learned that, that adoption that comes through our Lord, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was early on that G Galatians 4, 6 became very real. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, you're no longer an outsider, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. So, life carries on. Made it through high school, decided to go on to Bible school. Went to uh, a little Bible school there in Kansas City, Kansas City Youth for Christ at the time, put on a little thing. First day of school, we were seated alphabetically. I was seated next to this blonde, blue-eyed Canadian. 
couldn't remember her name, so I just called her Canada. <laughs> but I remember looking beside me and going, hello. <laughs> I thought it was cold in Canada. I thought... That right there is a brand new joke, folks. Just made it up on the spot. <laughs> that one is going to be repeated because that's going to be brownie points all day long. <laughs> 34 years later, 34 years later, it has not been cold. <laughs> We've been blessed with four beautiful children. First son, Tim Jr., is 29, has a little girl who's four, a little boy who's six months, a daughter. We have another second daughter, our first daughter is 25, and then twins that are 21 years old. We have been given an incredible life. God has blessed us tremendously, and over time, we have just been absolutely thrilled with life. We spent four years in Kansas City, decided at one point that it's time to make a little bit of a change, so we thought we'd move to, Can to Canada for a little while to be next to her folks. And I thought, well, you know what? I've been to Winnipeg, seen it, I know it's cold. How bad can it be? <laughs> oh my. Oh my, my, my. Oh my. All I can say, folks, is that that first two years, I would have given my right arm, my left arm, and half my left leg to get out of Winnipeg. I hated that place with a passion. It was minus 40. I mean, you always heard the term, but I never knew it really did freeze over. Now, I don't know what your church is thinking, Pastor. <laughs> but I hated Winnipeg. Hated it. But nonetheless, we have been there 30 years this fall, and I have been had the opportunity to travel all over the world, all over North America, and there is no place I would move to. I absolutely love Winnipeg. And, I, and my wife will give me grief for telling you that now because half of you are going to want to move there. Don't move there. <laughs> it's a terrible town. Cold and mosquitoes, that's all. Love Winnipeg. Nonetheless, life was pretty normal. Life went on, having babies, going back to school, became a nurse, and things carried on up until about August of 2010. In August of 2010, after I'd finally adjusted to the bone-chilling cold and the culture that was so like Kansas City and yet so different, things rolled on until that August. In that August, I was sitting in my kitchen reading the Saturday morning newspaper, as I often do, when a brand new thought entered my head. And that thought was, my left big toe is twitching. If you can imagine with me doing one of these, reading the paper. Yep, my left big toe is twitching. Well, I had been a nurse for 18 years at that point. Any, any nurses in the room? Yeah, I, hey, buddy. Good job, man. Welcome to the world of estrogen, eh? Any nurse, any good nurse knows that you don't wake up twitchy for no good reason. And I knew right then and there something was up. So I did what any good nurse does, a quick little head-to-toe assessment. Said to myself, well, <laughs> yes, yeah, could be psychological, but I'm not anxious, not depressed, things are okay at home, kids are okay, finances are all right, things are good with the wife, she's not mad at me today. There's no reason for me, no psychological reason for me to be twitchy. 
So I thought, well, if it's not psychological, it must be physiological. And if it's physiological, it's either Parkinson's or MS. Now you have to understand that I, my father passed away with Parkinson's. I have a half-sister who has MS. And so these thoughts have never been far away. But that is literally my first five minutes on this journey with this thing called Parkinson's disease. So at that point, I thought I did, well, I thought I did what any good husband would do, which was, gentlemen, oh, good job, guys. <laughs> you beat them. Every single time, a woman gets it out before we do. You're absolutely right, nothing. I said, you know what, I might be wrong. Might go away. Might be nothing. We had just crossed our 25th wedding anniversary, and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to sit on this. We've got a three-week vacation planned in Europe this October. I'll wait till after the vacation, come home if it's still there. We'll, we'll check it out then. Well, what I didn't know was any kind of stress, good, bad, or indifferent, will make your Parkinson's symptoms worse. And we had decided in our, to do in our 40s what you're supposed to do in your 20s, and that is backpack across Europe. Yeah, it was a great time. Right up until we showed up in Rome on a Saturday night with no hotel booked. Yeah, if you ever take a trip like this, don't do that. We ended up following a guy who knew a guy who had a hotel room. And folks, if this was your kids and they made it back alive, you'd kill them. <laughs> but nonetheless, he did know a guy. It was a beautiful boutique little hotel. We ended up spending an absolute fortune to sleep in a bed that night, but that was better than sleeping on a park bench. But the stress of that moment sent my toe trimmer into a foot trimmer that turned me into a basket case saying, honey, something's wrong with me. And she said, okay, settle down. You're twitchy. Something's up. But you're fine. Let's finish our vacation and we'll go home. We'll see a doc. We'll go from there. That's what we did. Went home, sat down with my GP, sat in his office for about 20 minutes, discussed the fact that I likely had young onset Parkinson's disease. But he said, you know, take, take five here. Hold on. We'll get you in front of a movement disorder specialist. We'll get you formally diagnosed and we'll go from there. And that's what we did. And in February of 2011, I was formally diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease at the age of 46. To say that I was unimpressed would be the understatement of a lifetime. I was scared. I was angry, but mostly scared. For you see, once again, dad died with this disease. I had nursed many a patient with it, and I had no illusions as to what this would ultimately mean for me. Now, how many of you are familiar with Parkinson's? Yeah, well, just so we're all on the same page. Parkinson's basically boils down to my brain doesn't work right. We create a chemical called dopamine right in the middle of our brains. And with Parkinson's, by the time you see this tremor that you get to experience with me this morning, we've lost about 80% of the production of, of dopamine. Dopamine is not only our happy drug that we gives us that runner's high, but it also controls our body. So, this nonsense is Parkinson's. And this morning, it just is doing its thing. And I cannot make that stop for love or money. You see me sit down. Sometimes if I sit down, it'll be a little better. If I stand up, it's a little better. Well, today, it's just going to do its thing. But the crazy thing is, is that from that tremor, it goes to a nutty ju juxtaposition or a different position to where you can't move. So you'll oft often see me when I get tired, I end up like this because I get stiff. So I'll still twitch and tremor, but now I'm stiff and can't walk well. That's kind of crazy, eh? 
And then the other two motor symptoms are loss of balance and um, tremor, fatigue, loss of balance, and low blood pressure, dizziness, right? See, there, there's the other one. The one that I particularly like is cognitive issues. You forget things. <laughs> there was a day in my life that I never spoke with notes. Now I don't go home, don't leave home without them because that's just what it does. It affects you cognitively, it c affects your bladder, your bowel, depression, anxiety, all kinds of wonderful things that come along with this thing called Parkinson's. But of all the negative side effects that come with it, there's one that I absolutely love, and that one is the fact that it got me on The Amazing Race Canada. For you see, my wife had always been an absolute fanatic of the race. She fell in love with the American show, and she always said, Tim, if this ever comes to Canada, we're applying. And I always did that good husband thing, rolled my eyes and said, yes, dear. Because how many of you know anybody that's ever got on a reality television show, right? Well, I guess you all do now, but <laughs> you know what I mean. It's not going to happen. Well, it comes to Canada. She says, we're going to apply. I quietly rolled my eyes and said, yes, dear. She came back and said, we can't apply. I said, yes, dear. She says, however, you and Tim Jr. can. And I said, what, dear? <laughs> we actually end up in an argument, believe it or not, as to who is going to apply for this race that neither of us are going to get on. She keeps telling me that they love family teams. I said, well, you're his mother. That works. Uh, and the, it boiled down to the fact that she said they're going to love your Parkinson's. Yeah, I didn't laugh. <laughs> I did a little blink, blink, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and she said, well, they've done cancer. They've done all kinds of prosthetics. They've done all kinds of stuff, but they've never done Parkinson's. So I applied, good husband that I am, and sure enough, don't you hate it when they're so right, guys? <laughs> she nailed it. They were absolutely fascinated by the story. And as you know, the story goes, not only did we get that interview, we got on the race, and despite my Parkinson's, we somehow went on to win the doggone thing. Now, <laughs> how many of you saw the show? Oh, well, what do the rest of you do? <laughs> it's been the number one most watched television show in ca Canadian history. It's on my website, you can still see it. But had you had the opportunity to see it, you would have seen that we ran the classic underdog race. We were that come from behind Cinderella story that nobody expected to happen. We were error prone and chronically behind. We had multiple opportunities to roll over and die, knowing full well that no one would have been surprised and few would have mourned our passing. We were lost all the time. Nothing was expected of the Thames on the race, just like very little was expected of me in life. Yet we chose to carry on in our race. We chose to stay the course. We chose to persevere. We chose to get up every day and simply do our best and stay at it regardless. And in the end, our perseverance produced this. Rock and roll, baby. Father and son, Tim and Tim Jr. You got it, Dad. Here we go. Started the race with the added challenge of Tim Sr.'s Parkinson's. That diagnosis doesn't have to define your life. This guy's my hero right here. I'm really proud of him. Yeah! 
Leg after leg, Tim Sr. pushed himself beyond anyone's expectations. You can do more than you think you can. You just have to be willing to try. Good fortune smiled on the Tim. This is a non-elimination round? No. Not once, but twice. You are still in this race. <laughs> more than anyone, the Tims know it's now or never. Five years from now, I won't have the physical capability to do this race. We have to win. Won't have yeah. a second shot. kilometers and you are the first winners of the amazing race Canada Tim senior Tim jr. you guys have won two 2014 Corvette Sting Race, executive first-class travel for a year from Air Canada to anywhere in the world and a quarter of a million dollars my dad has completely blown every expectation of him out of the water. Parkinson's isn't supposed to let you do half the things that he's done in this race. And he not only did them, he kicked their butt, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, somehow I just never get tired of watching that. But let me ask you a question. Back in 1964, how many people would have ever thought that that biracial baby would grow up to have that kind of life? I can tell you about how many. About that many. Very few people expected anything out of this kid in life. Yet, a white couple from Canada, Canada, <laughs> sorry mom, she, would not ever come to Canada, move to Canada. <laughs> Americans. Um, but a white couple from Kansas did what very few others would ever even contemplate doing. Bucked the cultural trend, bucked the norm in the church, and chose to not only adopt this orphan in his distress, but five more. My parents became the hands and feet of God in my life, fulfilling God's word early in my life. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4 so clearly described them. You who I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I have come to see that it is Jesus who rescued my life at birth. It is Jesus who saved my soul as a young boy. And it is Jesus who sustains my life even now with Parkinson's. It has become clear to me that we too, like my parents, can be the hands and feet of God in children's lives. We can look after orphans in their distress. 
we can bring them to Jesus. We've been given the means to sustain them. We can set them free from poverty in his name. My question for you this morning is this. Will you become the hands and feet of Christ in some child's life today? Our world is fraught with difficulty. You turn on the television, you flip open your computer, you go to your phone, and it's the same thing day in and day out. Ugly negative politics, war, famine. How do we make a difference in our world? What can we possibly do to change, to impact all the heartache that we see all over the world? Well, I'll tell you what you can do. For as little as 50 bucks a month, I guarantee you, you can change a child's life for eternity. You can be the hands and feet of Christ in a child's life and will change them for all time. But you see, I have been to Nicaragua, I have been to Colombia, I have met my sponsored children, and I can tell you that compassion does what they say they're going to do. They see poverty for what it really is. They see it at its root. We often see poverty from an economic standpoint. But ultimately, if you ask people who live in poverty, they will tell you things that are very, very different about their experience than how we put it. They articulate their experience in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, voicelessness. This tells us that poverty is something far different than just the lack of things. And folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that there's only one answer to this problem, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It was back in 2001 that my wife and I started sponsoring children with compassion. And our very first child that we began sponsoring, his name was Eric. Now you have to understand that back in 2001, this is a long time before the amazing race. I was a nurse, we had four children. My, uh, my wife was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't have tons of money, but we had enough and we knew that we needed to do something to give back to our world. We chose Eric from Rwanda because I had a very dear friend at the time who absolutely hated God and hated the church. And it related to something that happened in Rwanda. He would never tell me what that was, but something happened to him in the church in Rwanda. So we decided to sponsor a child from Rwanda in hopes of giving something back to that country, some small bit of positive. Eric has su subsequently grown up and graduated from the program, but about two years after we started uh, sponsoring Eric, we started sponsoring Arlise. And Arlise is an absolutely beautiful young lady. We have had so much fun watching these two kids grow up with our kids. We have watched them grow in their faith. We have watched them grow through health problems. We have watched them grow through school and go on to post-secondary. Arlise is now married. And we've seen them not only walk with Christ, but, but grow physically as people. And it's been such a tremendous blessing to us and our family to be a part of that. Once Arlise grew up, she graduated from high school and stepped out of the program. 
So we needed to do some replacement. So we did. Well, the next picture there is our four kids that we sponsor now. And they are, well, we went to Compassion and we asked them, we said, uh, you know what, we know that Eric has some brothers and sisters. And so we'd like to know if there's any of them in the program that we could help sponsor them. And so along came Theory. Well, who could say no to Theory, hey? Look at that face. Gorgeous little boy. And in Colombia is Karen. Karen came in place of Arlise. Marcella is in Honduras. And Marcio is in Nicaragua. And we were in Nicaragua just a couple years ago. I had the opportunity to meet Marcio and his parents. And the story behind Marcio is this. He was, this picture's a little outdated, but his folks were having a really rough time at the time. His dad had been involved in a motorcycle accident when he was much younger. Works 12 to 14 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, to bring home a few bucks a day. They live in abject poverty. Christians, followers of Christ, but live in abject poverty. And we saw a lot of homes that week that we were in Nicaragua. But God did something unique when we stood in Marcio's home. Didn't do it in any other house we were in, but in this house, my wife and I, very clearly heard God call us to sustain this family. He said, Tim, I've given you 50 bucks for Marcio. It's not for your phone. It's not for gas for your car. It's not to pay your mortgage with. It's not for television. It's not for Starbucks. I have given this to you for them. We started sponsoring Marcio. And God doesn't do that with everybody, or every child we come across. But in that moment, God made it very clear that he was calling us to step out and do something more. So we did. And I have to tell you that what we get out of doing this far exceeds anything that it costs us. Because the money just goes, right? We don't miss it. It just goes. And it's because God's given it to us for them. He didn't give it to me for me. And I know that it makes a difference. Because you see, when a, couple, a few years back, we had the opportunity to go to uh, Colombia and meet our lease. And what an absolutely phenomenal opportunity that was. But we sat there with her, and I would ask her questions. I said, Arlise, are you a follower of Jesus? She looked at me like I'd grown two heads. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've written this to you lots of times. Well, I wanted to hear it. Ask her, how, does, how has compassion helped you? And she would tell me all the things that that money every month had done for her. So I can stand before you this morning, church, and say without a doubt in my mind that the sponsorship that we give to these kids every month helps these kids makes an everlasting change in their lives. Compassion does what it, it, they say they're going to do. So this morning, I want to encourage you to join our family in sponsoring children. If you already sponsor kids, thank you. Sincerely, from the depths of my heart, thank you. But I don't believe God brought me here for nothing. So I have to ask, can you do one more? You see, for now, God's written these four kids' names on our hearts, 
I'm sure there will be more in time. But I'm also convinced that he's written the names of other kids on your hearts this morning. I'm convinced that God has somebody here that he wants you to take home. People often ask me, why compassion? There are so many good organizations out there. There are so many good things being done. Why compassion? Why would we choose this one? Well, a number of good reasons. One is, Compassion is a child evangelism organization that carries itself like a child sponsorship program. Before anything else, our number one concern is to see the gospel presented to children and children have the opportunity to respond to it. The vast majority of children who come through our program, who come, who come through Compassion's program, will make a decision for Christ. Now, I want to tell you, folks, if you want to change the world, we'll, make, we'll see children become believers. When Jesus gets in our lives, it changes not only our lives, but our families' lives. It'll change our community. It will change our nation. It will change our world. Do we, do we provide food for them? Yes. Do we provide education? Yes. Do we provide clothing and do we dig wells? Yes. Do we provide dental services? Yes. All of that's important, but the foundation is Jesus. Jesus. We are Christ-focused. We're child-focused, sorry. We are Christ-centered. And then it's all about the kid. It is all about the kid. For the kid, the money isn't the sponsorship. I, I want you to know that. The money isn't the sponsorship. For them, it's all about that written letter. When we met our lease, she brought out to us a stack of all the letters we'd ever written her. And it was absolutely amazing. She had kept and cherished every single thing that we had ever sent her. And then we're talking to her that day and she, we mentioned the fact that I have Parkinson's. And she was a little taken back. Like, what do you mean you have Parkinson's? how long have you had Parkinson's? And then the question that really got us, why haven't you told me this? And we were like, um, you ever feel kind of silly? <laughs> I don't know. We figured we wouldn't bother you or burden you with that. She looks me in the eye and she says, these are the kind of things you tell the people that you love. You see, this isn't a picture that hangs in our fridge. This is a relationship that we have with a young lady in Colombia who cares about me, who prays for me. And if you think I'm doing a whole lot for her, I can tell you she's doing a whole lot for me. Because never have I been so humbled, never have I been so blessed than to hear the words from that child those words from that child. And finally, when we went to Columbia, I went looking for compassion. I wanted to see what compassion did. I wanted to see how they handled themselves. I wanted to see what they did there in the field. And the amazing thing is I couldn't find them. What I found was the local church. There were no compassion buildings. There was no compassion banners all over the place. There was no stuff. There were no bunch of North Americans. Everybody there looked like, well, they didn't look like us. 
well, actually, they look like me. <laughs> they didn't look so much. Well, they look like some of you, but you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It wasn't a bunch of North Americans trying to do the work. It, it was because everything Compassion does is in and through the local church. So when our lease needs something, she goes to her youth pastor. When her parents need something, they go to their pastor. They have people who are speaking their language in their culture, who understand their culture in their church, doing the work of the church, and we simply come alongside them and do our best to encourage them and empower them and give them the tools that they need to further the kingdom in Colombia. These are the reasons why I can stand before you this morning and say with absolute confidence that sponsoring children through compassion will change their lives for eternity. That's why I can stand here this morning and tell you that my amazing race is not done. That, my, that I'm still on the task, I'm still at work, but I need your help to get it done. The goal is to see as many children as possible sponsored through compassion. But of course, I can't do that by myself. I need you to join us in this leg of the amazing race. There are still children like me who are in distress and need our help. And God has made it abundantly clear in Scripture how he wants us to help those in need. My birth mom, my parents, they changed my life because they were willing to step out and do what few others would do. They chose to bring me to Jesus. We can look after orphans in their distress. We can bring them to Jesus. We have been given the means to sustain them. Will you join me in this amazing race to set children free from poverty in his name? To believe that you can make a difference in the life of some kid who just because they were born in the wrong place at the wrong time can still win their race that has its end at the foot of the cross. We can make a difference in children's lives. Our challenge is to set children free from poverty in his name. Our challenge is for children to know the name Abba Father and that out of all that we've been given, to give back just a little so that some kid who very few care about will have the opportunity to say the words, Abba Father. I have brought with me this morning a whole bunch of these. And these are real kids. You're going to take some of these home and hang them on your fridge, but they're real kids. And this is Spencer. I brought Spencer up here this morning because I'm convinced that somebody, God wants somebody here to take Spencer home with him this morning. Spencer lives in Uganda. He's 18 years old. Now, why do I talk about an 18-year-old when everybody loves theory? <laughs> theory is easy to sponsor. An 18-year-old Spencer is tough because he's not cute anymore. But at 18 years old, He's been waiting a long time for a sponsor. If you're unsure how long you can do this, this an, an older child is perfect for a senior who says, Tim, I don't know how long I can do this. Spencer will be in the program another year or two. I would love to see somebody take Spencer home this morning and change his life forever have a whole raft of other children that are back there waiting for sponsors, I'd welcome you to come meet me at the table and give me the opportunity to introduce you to your new sponsored child this morning. 
where would Tim Sr. be? Where would I be without my mom and parents? Where would Eric, Arlise, Marcella, Karen, Theory, and Marcio be without me? Where would your sponsor child wind up without you? From a small little hospital in a dusty little town in Texas to the amazing race Canada. This little orphan has had an awesome life because two people chose to not only read scripture, but to act it out and understand that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So I invite you to come join me in this incredible race to set children free from poverty in Jesus' name. And if you do, if you will, I have been blessed with the opportunity to write and have published this book, Perseverance. It tells my story of adoption, tells my story of the amazing race, and how you persevere when life throws you really tough stuff like Parkinson's. If you sponsor a kid this morning and if it means anything to you, compassion and I would like to give you one of these books. But more than anything, no that it, you're changing a child's life for all eternity in making that decision. And that's the reason to sponsor children. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you that you have given me this story and the opportunity to share it and tell it with so many others. I thank you, Father, that you are a good God and that you provide for us in so many ways. You meet our needs in ways that we just often don't think about and at times forget that you've given us things that we need to pass on, that it wasn't intended to stop with me, that you intended me to be the vessel, the messenger, the one to pass it on to the one who really needs it. And I believe that's with our money as well as the things, the other things that you bring into our lives like Parkinson's, where we struggle, where we have difficulty in our lives, God. There are things that just are hard, and yet you make a way. You provide for us. You give us strength. You give us courage. You give us support. You give us medications. You give us all that we need so that we can go forward and do what you want us to do. And I pray this morning that, that you would do that in this church, that you would give them all that they need to be a light on this corner of Edmonton, to make Jesus famous in this corner of Edmonton, and that they would do all that they've been called to do to reach kids around the world with your gospel, for your name, so that they come to know Jesus and once again, make you famous where they live. I commit all this to you, dear God, in your son, Jesus Christ's name. It's in his sake we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, 
thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way 